Our second lesson is from James, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you're visiting today and if you're a member who's been away, um, you may not be aware that with this message, we are concluding a three-week study uh, on James. And we began two weeks ago in James chapter 2 as we uh, meditated on the importance of mercy, how we would be lost without the mercy of God, and how we in turn are to be merciful one to another. And James says, without partiality, without making worldly distinctions among ourselves, treating some this way and some that way based on their rank or their station in life, but that in the family of God, uh, we make no such distinctions. We're all brothers and sisters of the same Heavenly Father, equally in need of the mercy of the one true God and Father of us all. Then last week, we looked at James chapter 3, and we uh, realized, um, as the Word of God teaches us, that it's one thing to have knowledge. It's good to have knowledge. Knowledge is useful. Um, I hope that my, uh, my dentist, my, my physician, uh, my cardiologist are, are knowledgeable in their areas of specialization. But there's also this thing called wisdom, which uh, is not to be confused with knowledge. Uh, many of us know people who might not have great knowledge by worldly standards, uh, but are quite wise. Um, so at any rate, if you missed either of those first two meditations, they're available on the website. And I would hope that you'd maybe take some time and go and give them a listen, as today we meditate now on James 5, and from that first reading that Ruth uh, read aloud from Second Peter and from uh, James, uh, we know that today's theme is patience, right? How we are to be a people um, who exercise patience. Let me tell you a story. A farm boy by the name of Johnny... Um, lost control of his wagon full of corn, as often happens. I've seen this as he was going around a sharp turn out in the country. It went over and all the corn spilled out on the road. And Earl, a farmer who lived nearby, saw the thing happen from afar. And he went running down and you know, Johnny was beside himself. And Earl said, Johnny, it's okay. That's quite a mess there. Come up to the house. Let's have a glass of iced tea. And uh, I'll get my shovels, and I'll help you get that wagon back up, and we'll put all the corn back where it belongs. And Johnny said, well, that's mighty nice of you, but I don't think my dad would approve. And he says, come on, Johnny. Your father and I have known each other for over 50 years. He'll just have to wait and be a little patient. He knows that things like this happen to all of us. Well, okay, said Johnny, but I don't think my dad would like it. And after enjoying not one but two tall glasses of iced tea, Johnny thanked Earl and said, that sure was good. I feel a little better, but I know Dad's going to be upset. And Earl replied, listen, I told you not to worry about that. We'll get that wagon back up. We'll get all the corn back in. When we get to your place, I'll talk to your dad. 
He says, well, that's awfully kind of you, but Dad's not home right now. He says, well, where is he? Asked Earl. And Johnny replied, well, sir, he's under the wagon. (laughs) So there's times to be patient. There's times to be very patient, and there are times to be anything but. And it's important to know the difference, right? We are called to be people who show patience in three different ways, according to James. And the first is, uh, we are to be patient as we wait for the coming of the Lord. Uh, Christ will come again in glory. And we don't need to fear that day or wonder about a calendar date. You will know when he returns. And so we patiently wait for the second coming of Christ, not in speculation or fear, but doing that which the Lord has assigned us while it is yet day, according to God's word. We even say in our communion liturgy, Amen, come Lord Jesus. We welcome the second coming of Christ when all creation will be restored, a new heaven and a new earth, where things don't wear out, where knees don't need replacement, where teeth don't decay, where diseases are unknown. We welcome that second coming of Christ, and we await it patiently. Some of you know that I took a year off between college and seminary to be a a lay pastor slash youth minister at a Lutheran church up in northern Minnesota. They had this wonderful program for young men just like me who'd been accepted at a Lutheran seminary who wanted to take a year off and just immerse themselves in congregational life, and that sounded good to me. And uh, looking back, I'm really glad I made that decision. I learned so much in that one year in northern Minnesota among God's people at Our Savior's Lutheran Church. A member there uh, that is still dear to me, though he's gone on in glory, was a gentleman by the name of Einer Carlson. Uh, His parents had uh, immigrated from Norway to Minnesota in the late 1800s. They were poor. He didn't have a chance to go to college, but he, uh, he learned to trade. He was an electrician, and by the time I met him, he was uh, up there in years, as we say. And over that 12 months at Our Savior's Lutheran Church, I came to appreciate Einar Carlson as a biblical scholar. He knew the Word of God. I would learn later. Far better than some of my seminary professors. Einar was a widower. He'd been a widower for about 20 years by the time I met him, and I was a young bachelor youth minister at his church, and, you know, he didn't want me to be lonely, and I think I helped him in his loneliness, so Einer would often ask me over for supper and conversation that went well into the night. Uh, Supper was usually, because I was coming, not one, but two cans of chili. Uh, Einer would get three cans of chili for 99 cents. Sometimes he had me over for breakfast, and that was a can of chili with an egg on it. But supper was two cans of chili on the stove with some saltine crackers. And then Einer, after dinner, would uh, make us two big mugs of instant coffee, the worst coffee I've ever tasted in my life. Einer would uh, reflect and get quite theological in those conversations after chili supper. Many of the people in that part of northern Minnesota went to congregations where all the pastors were preaching and talking about in those days in the 70s, 
was the second coming of Christ. And they had church signs and they had billboards and there was a weekly paper that came out every Wednesday and there they would publish their upcoming sermon titles and they were so redundant. Christ is coming again. Jesus is returning soon. The end is nearer than you think. Are you ready? Do you want to burn in hell forever? And on and on and on and on. And one night after our supper, Einer said to me, uh, puffing his pipe full of uh, Borkum Riff tobacco, You know, Bruce, I wish some of the preachers around here would show as much interest in the first coming of Christ as they do his second. I had yet to learn what the word eschatology meant, but Einer was thinking eschatologically. And I had to ask him, well, what do you mean? More interest in his first coming than his second. And Einer said, well... Those preachers don't seem too interested in what Jesus already told us to be doing the first time he came. I've been living up here my whole life, and none of those churches do anything for the poor folk. I've never seen them roll up their sleeves and do any community work. And when Jesus came the first time, he told us to love one another. And I hear them talk and talk and talk about how much they hate sinners. And their sermons are all about the future when there's plenty to be done right here, right now. Einer was wise. He's so wise. And I often think of him when people of God come to the church wanting to talk to a pastor because they take a look at the lay of the land and the headlines and they're afraid that the world's about to end. And Einer had it right. Let's just focus more on the first coming of Christ and not worry about the second because when he comes, everything's going to be just fine and not speculate what month, day, or hour his second appearance might be. We are to be patient, James tells us, as we experience suffering. Now let's think about that for a moment. Um, On the one hand, don't we? all do whatever we are able to do to avoid pain and don't we do what we can do to alleviate the pain being suffered by others and I don't know about you but when I have suffered personally I've often asked uh, why me uh, why this uh, why now and how long must I wait for relief the thing is we suffer in this life and you know this simply because we're human I mean Christians and non-Christians all suffer because of our humanity but sometimes yes sometimes we suffer as a direct result of our obedience to Christ. And that's the kind of suffering that James is talking about here. So not to dwell on it, but to remember it. Uh, God calls us to be patients in times of such suffering. And as a congregation, we've had to deal with some criticism and unkindness and some mean-spirited comments about who we are for standing on God's word. Uh, 
I've experienced that as your pastor, and many of you have experienced that as individuals. Some of you have been cut off from people you once thought of as your dearest friends. And just for the record, some of my seminary classmates no longer talk to me. I learned from them the meaning of persona non grata. And as painful as that can be, it really pales in comparison to the suffering that many brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing right now behind bars, uh, in torture chambers, in different parts of the world because they love Jesus. And they count that as their honor and blessing and they suffer patiently. In this kind of suffering and affliction, we are encouraged by James to remember all the prophets and all the faithful servants of God who have suffered and died before us because of their faith. This is really interesting. I think this is a fascinating biblical truth. The word for witness in the New Testament is marturia. Does that sound like another word you know? Martyr? Yeah. That's because those who witnessed to the lordship of Jesus Christ in the ancient church uh, regularly suffered and, and suffered unto death for the cause of Christ. And so we call those who die in such a way martyrs, but the word for that is simply to witness. I mean, if you were witnessing to Christ in the ancient church, you knew that it could mean your imminent death. So when we suffer for following Christ, when friends decide to unfriend you on social media because you're a Christian, (laughs) when some people avoid us, or when we're spoken of unfairly and unkindly. Well, man up. Woman up. We're called to bear such things patiently with faithful endurance. For soon enough, all truth will be revealed. That's what we heard from Second Peter. Everything will be disclosed. And then we are to be patient as we deal with one another. James reminds us, and so does Paul, in so many of his letters, that um, party spirit, um, playing favorites, uh, grumbling against one another, uh, it divides the body of Christ. It does not glorify God. Now, I'm not talking here, and I don't think that James or, or Paul were ever referring to this, about a healthy and mutually respectful and loving discussion of important issues. I think this is a sign of mature Christian love. And contrary, brothers and sisters, to what some people have said about our congregation, uh, all of us are not members of the same political party. That any of you uh, who joined this church, uh, were you required to meet with the pastor and disclose your party affiliation in order to qualify for membership? Uh, We don't vote for the same candidates. We don't agree 100% of the time on 100% of the issues Uh, Think of your own families and circle of closest friends. Do all of you agree on everything all the time? I think not. That's not the way it is in my family. And here at Faith, we have many people who lean to the left side of the aisle, and we have many people who lean to the right side of the aisle, and we have some people who think it's really sweet to be right in the middle of the aisle. And depending on the issues, we have some who will lean left on this topic and right on that issue. I know this because I have had good, 
respectful conversations with many of you as we have had to agree to disagree on many issues and topics in the kingdom of this world. And we can disagree on those things. But we do agree on the most important topic, which is not a topic at all, but the truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. I know many of you have lived longer than I, and you've seen more, and you've experienced more than I, but I can tell you that in my 60 years, I am saddened to see the lack of civility in so much of our public discourse. And I don't know if it's a blessing or if it's a sad thing that the church, at least when the church is really being what God calls it to be, may be one of the last communities where civility and honest discourse can still take place. I don't want a showing of hands, but have you ever belonged to a congregation in which grumbling and complaining and quibbling and fault-finding were the norm? And if you belong to a church like that, you know how detrimental those things can be to the health and life of any congregation. Those churches don't flourish, and they don't appeal to people who are looking for Christian fellowship and they don't bring glory to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, German pastor, theologian, who himself was a martyria, a witness to Jesus Christ who died on the gallows during World War II, uh, said this, I quote, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it is a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We belong to one another only through and only in Jesus Christ. Not our consensus on politics or political candidates. Not our agreement on the best hymns or the sweetest songs. And not on our ideas of how the pastor should dress, groom his facial hair, Jerry Watts, or style the hair on her head. We belong to one another. This is the truth. This is a gift. And it is a reality. Not by our doing, but by God's grace at work in our lives. And the unifying power of Christ in our midst. So, we face forward, patiently awaiting the second coming we exercise patience in all things. And probably, most importantly, we exercise patience with one another. Just as God is patient with each of us. We pray for one another. And you'll probably never know the first and last name of every fellow church member in this congregation because it's just too large. But just pray for all your brothers and sisters in Christ, would you? In your daily devotions that by our choices, by our words, by our behavior, God would be glorified. 
And the hope that is ours in Christ would save us from fear, uh, angry resignation, that we might not be ill-tempered with one another, but that we might love each other as Christ first loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.